0: Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org/postscript.
1: Good morning to you. My name is Duffy Robbins. Good to see you this morning. Always a pleasure to be here at FaithBridge. If you're joining us. Uh, from the woodlands today, uh, that low frequency hum is not me. My health is good, thank you. Uh, I feel a little bit like the tidy bull man but uh, when I hear that echo. But uh, if you're joining us online, good to have you as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a great day here at Faith Bridge. I, um, it's interesting, kind of been a part of how God's been working in this place over the last few months. Uh, I was reminded right around the middle of the 18th century. Uh, one of the country's leading intellectuals was uh, a Puritan preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards. Has anybody in the room ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? Yeah, n- nobody. Uh, no, I, I can't. It's, uh, well, maybe you never heard of Jonathan Edwards. That's not a big deal. Uh, actually, you're more likely to have heard, uh, heard of his grandson, Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr, who uh, came in first place uh, in a duel that ended badly for Alexander Hamilton, uh, who, of course, later went on to achieve fame as a role in a Broadway musical. Uh, But uh, in the year 1741, Jonathan Edwards uh, wrote a piece widely read at the time about an amazing movement of God's spirit that had spread across the American colonies between uh, 1730, 1740, Uh, referred to often today by church historians as the Great Awakening, the Great Awakening. Um, And the title of the book Jonathan Edwards wrote about the Great Awakening was this, uh, the distinguishing marks of a work of the Spirit of God applied to that uncommon operation that has lately appeared on the minds of the people of New England with a particular consideration of the extraordinary circumstances with which this work is attended. Doesn't uh, roll right off the tongue. Uh, In fact, uh, they are thinking of maybe uh, reissuing a newer version and the title will be Fifty Shades of Great Awakening. But but, uh, the the idea behind the book is really, uh, I think, uh, quite stunning. What he wanted to do was to see basically how to answer this question. What are the distinguishing marks of a movement of the Spirit of God? What are the distinguishing marks of an authentic movement of the spirit of God? How do we tell the difference between a, a true awakening and a false or, or pseudo awakening? And, uh, and Edwards in his uh, treatise identifies actually five marks in all. He talks about, uh, first of all, a, a true movement of God's spirit exalts, exalts the true Christ. Uh, secondly, it opposes Satan's interest. Thirdly, it points people to the word, to the scriptures. Fourth, it elevates truth, it elevates truth. And fifth, it results in the love of God and others. It results in the love of God and others. So uh, it, it exalts the true Christ, deposes Satan's interest, points people to the scriptures, uh, elevates truth and, and results in love for God and others. Um, if you've been around here much lately, you know that God's kinda doing a fresh work, a fresh uh, movement here at Faith Bridge over the last few months, and it's been exciting. Uh, to, to watch as God has stirred the hearts of, of so many of us here at Faith Bridge to pray that, um, that God would uh, renew our sense of, of the living, uh, vital presence of His uh, Word and His Spirit in our lives. It kind of feels like uh, we're, we're in the midst of our own uh, season of, of awakening. And uh, and in fact, if you go to Faith Bridge, uh, website, uh, you can just click on the term sermons, and you would actually see that over the last... Couple of months, we've been talking about a lot of the same ideas that are mentioned by Jonathan Edwards in his booklet. He, uh, you know, we've been talking about what it means to be recharged and, and rechanged, we've been reawakened. We've been talking about that that very first encounter with Christ and experiencing that newness, that freshness again. Uh, how that reawakening is uh, is impacted by repentance. And, and the way we deal with our sin, uh, we've, uh, we've talked about what does it mean to actually hear God in a fresh or an authentic way? Is that even possible in the 21st century? Is that just you know, something that happened before uh, HBO and Facebook? But what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna continue this conversation by looking at one of these five marks of a genuine work of the Spirit of God. And that's the fifth one, a love for God and others. A love for God and others. And since, frankly, uh, I think most of us find God to be generally more lovable than the people seated around us, uh, we're going to focus primarily this week and next on how genuine awakening impacts our relationships uh, with each other in our church family. How does a movement of God's Spirit uh, impact a, a Place like Faith Bridge? How do we think about each other? How does it change the way we, we relate to each other in the Faith Bridge community and in the Christian community uh, locally, the Christian community at, at large? Um, you may remember uh, two weeks ago, Tim uh, Atika uh, reminded us about Solomon's wisdom that two are better than one. Two are better than one. Well, well, this morning and next week, uh, we're going to actually consider the idea that a church is even better than two. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, if you just put your hand up, you'll see some very friendly people who are walking down the Oh, they're not all friendly. I see a couple of them who are grouchy, But but if you will uh, just put your hand up, uh, they'd love to uh, give you a Bible. And you uh, should just take this as a gift from Faith Bridge. We want you to have this. Um, this way you can follow along this morning and take it home with you. Uh, this is in the New Testament in the back of that Bible. Um, a little, little small six-chapter book called Ephesians. And we're going to begin reading in the fourth chapter, the very first verse. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." There is one body and one spirit, just as you called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I'd like us this morning to consider two very, very simple ideas. The first one is this. When the Spirit of God does an authentic work in our lives, that begins to change everything. When the Spirit of God does an authentic work in our lives, that, that just begins to, to, to rewrite the script. That, that begins to change everything. And then the second idea is this, that one of the very first everythings that the Spirit changes is our relationships with other people. One of the very first everythings impacted by an authentic movement of the Spirit of God is our relationships with other people. So let's, let's uh, jump into that first idea, that very first idea when the Spirit of God does an authentic work in our lives, that begins to change everything. I don't know if you have ever had an injury, a broken leg, maybe a sprained ankle or a bum knee um, that, uh, that, that actually required you to wear a cast or m- perhaps use crutches. Anybody, raise your hand if you've ever had an injury like that. Let's see. Yep. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. It literally changes the way you walk. This injury literally changes the way you live on a daily basis. Um, It was exactly three years ago today, today, that Maggie and I were on vacation with some friends down at Lake Oconee in Georgia. Uh, a little, about an hour outside of Atlanta, uh, we were vacationing with these friends for a week uh, there on the shore of the lake. It was going to be very fun, just some great time uh, on the water and with friends, and it was going to be fantastic. It was our very first morning, our very first day, our very first time in the boat out on the water, and the question was asked, who would like to ski first? Don't get ahead of me. You know, they that, said, that, who wants to ski first? Well, I... You know, I, uh, you know, counted to 10. I mean, I gave everybody else a chance to volunteer first. I didn't want to be greedy. I didn't want to be overly eager. Uh, I knew my wife wasn't going to go skiing. And uh, the other people in the boat seemed a little timid about it. So I finally said, well, I'll I'll go first. I'll go first. And even as I spoke those words, my wife gave me this glance, these eye darts uh, that were fired at me that said, are you kidding? Are you kidding? You have not been water skiing in years, in years, and, and 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 I I said, hey, look, don't don't worry about it. Don't forget, honey, you are married to a natural athlete, and uh, and and uh, what's the laughter about? And, and, uh, and, 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 and like every other male, remember, you are married to a man who has above average physical ability. So, so, uh, so I said, don't worry. In fact, I could still remember jumping into the lake and, and as I popped up my head above the water, I sort of laughed and looked at her and said, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, okay, you've heard this story. Uh, well, anyway, what happened was, uh, it, it, was it was unpleasant. Um, actually, what happened was, uh, to make a long, sad, painful story short, uh, the boat accelerated I'm coming up out of the water, uh, and, uh, and something went badly wrong. I began to feel uh, the muscle tissue uh, inside my right thigh rip neatly away from the bone, uh, which made water skiing, very difficult. Uh, And and frankly, for the next few weeks, uh, made marriage not very easy either. Uh, And uh, anyway, fast forward six weeks later, um, cast comes off, my leg is healed. And almost immediately, there's this profound and wonderful change in my walk in my, in my, my self image is still limping a bit. And uh, uh, frankly, my manhood was still in traction, but, but uh, now there was this healing and, and, and I could walk and that healing had a profound impact on virtually every other area of my life. What Paul is pointing us to in Ephesians chapter four, verse one is very much this same idea. He's basically saying to the church at Ephesus, he's saying to us, look, look, you have been healed from the crippling power of sin. So get up and walk in it, walk in it. Verse one, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See the church at Ephesus uh, was was a church alive. Uh, Paul had heard of their faith and of their uh, loving community of believers in in chapter one, verse 15. uh, He he thanks God for the vitality, for what God is doing in their midst. But at the same time, he's praying. He's praying for them that they could go deeper in their faith, deeper still In, in one very, very long sentence. that begins at verse 17. Paul excitedly, Uh, writes uh, he says look I am praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name in his name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now that's a prayer. That's a prayer. And you might be sitting there going, well, gosh, that just sounds fantastic. All kinds of uh, wonderful religious stuff. I have no idea what it means. Uh, Of course, if you were Jonathan Edwards, you'd probably go, oh, that would make a good book title but 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 in fact, in fact, what Paul is praying here is that the Ephesian believers might experience that first time presence of Christ again, and that they might experience it more deeply than ever before, and so Paul uh, it's almost like this very, very enthusiastic financial advisor. He's reminding these Ephesian believers in chapters one, two, and three that they have a strong, a diverse, and large spiritual portfolio as believers in Christ. He, he describes it in verse 18 as the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's saying, in essence, holy cow. Holy cow, people, this gospel is really good news. This is really good news. And if you don't know that, if you're not aware of that, if you're not living that, I am praying, he says in verse 18, I am praying that you will come to know that. And and, and let me just stop and say, by the way, that, that if you're here this morning or you're listening to my voice right now and you don't know Jesus. This seems sort of strange to you, what you're witnessing in this moment. It just seems a little bit odd. All these people gathered together on a perfectly good Sunday. You don't know that Jesus that we worship. You don't know maybe the, the hope Paul is writing about here in Ephesians uh, chapter one. And, and maybe you don't know the greatness of his power toward us who believe. And, and you haven't experienced the wonder that he died on the cross for you so that we might experience eternal life. And, and, and not just something that happens when you die, but a depth and a fullness and abundance of life, even now while we live. If you don't know that, first of all, we're delighted that you're here. We are so grateful that you are here. But secondly, we want you to understand that along with Paul, we are praying that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you may know and that that you may know that you know and experience the wonder of that good news. But then Paul goes on to say in chapters four, five, and six of Ephesians, if you know it, show it. If you know it, show it. That's why he writes in verse one, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been Called. It's that old idea, don't just talk it, walk it, right? Don't, don't just say it, play it. It has a, almost a rhythm to it, right? don't, don't just fact it, act it. Don't just chew it, do it. Don't just bite. Ch- Sorry. Uh, <laughs> forgot to take my meds this morning, but, but uh, I, I realized that was probably difficult to watch. But, but the bottom line is this. Paul wants us to know authentic faith is a lived out faith. It's not just showing up on, on Sundays and kind of punching your God card. It affects every impact, of, it impacts every segment, every element, every piece of our lives. Look back at verse one. For Paul, for Paul that authentic commitment landed him in jail. This is serious business. That, that decision to live a life worthy of the calling to which he had been called meant that he wasn't gonna bow down to the pseudo king Caesar. He wasn't going to stop talking about Jesus. He wasn't going to cave into the authorities. His commitment had a cost. He wasn't in chains because Caesar was king. No, he said, look, no, I am a prisoner for the Lord. I am in jail because Jesus is my master. He's my Lord. Now, I realize that for most of us this morning, there's probably not a huge risk that we are going to face that kind of Persecution, that sort of imprisonment, that probably won't be a part of your story or my story. Um, we we probably won't have to die for Jesus, but Paul is making it clear here. This is very important in verse one that a distinguishing mark of the work of the Spirit of God is our willingness to live for Jesus, to live for. Jesus, in practical, everyday terms. And I mention that because I think a lot of us have this idea that, well, you know, if, if, I'm a, if, I, uh, if I am filled by the Spirit of God, there's got to be something dramatic, something powerful, something big, huge cataclysmic that happens. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian, I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop selling drugs, turn away from life of crime, give up drinking, stop hanging around fast women. And people are going, dude, you're six years old. I mean, you know, you, you, you think you've got to do something really big and powerful and, and, and dramatic. You may not feel this morning like, like being a mom or a husband or a wife or a dad or a grandparent or, or a son or a daughter is, is is all that big a deal. or that, Or that being a a conscientious student in, in school is particularly heroic, or, or, or maybe just doing your work every day with, with excellence and, and good humor is, is all that epic, or, or, or even showing up to volunteer here uh, in the parking team, or the nursery team, or the hospitality team. You may think, well, that, that's not really a, a big deal. What Paul is charging us to do here is to live a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called, whatever, whatever that may be, because when the Spirit of God does an authentic work in our lives, that changes everything. That changes everything. That's idea number one, but let's, let's turn the corner here because in the very next verse, we're introduced to idea number two. One of the first everythings that the Spirit changes in our lives is our relationships with other people. One of the very first ways our everything changes when we are moved by an authentic work of the Spirit of God is our relationships with other people. Look at verse 2 of the text. Let's go back to verse 2. Paul wants us to understand instinctively that one of the most costly ways that we live out our faith in everyday life is in our Relationships with all lowliness and meekness and patience and long suffering. And then he goes on to say in verse 3 that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. If you actually go through chapter 4, you will see Paul immediately beginning to focus explicitly on how our everythings change, but especially. How our everythings are changed by our relationships. Verses 2 to 7 of chapter 4, he talks about how walking in the Spirit will impact our relationships in the church. We're going to talk about that next week. And, and then in verses 25 to 32, he talks about how uh, it's going to make an impact on the way we communicate, the way we talk to each other. Uh, then later on in chapter five, uh, he talks about relationships between husbands and wives. And in chapter six, between children and their parents. And then later on in chapter six, he talks the to, about relationship between slaves and, and masters. In fact, when Ben uh, spoke about marriage and, and singleness a few weeks ago, those are precisely the kinds of issues. Issues impacted by a genuine work of the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul tells us in verses 2 of 3 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, if you want to test the work of the Spirit of God in your life, if you really want to experience the marks of his incredible power toward us who believe, don't begin by looking for goosebumps, don't begin by looking for feelings, don't be looking for amazing signs, how loud you sing in worship, how tightly you close your eyes, when you sing, how high you raise your hands, how much scripture you know, uh, whether you have on your bumper sticker, uh, a a, a sticker of an Ichthus fish consuming a Darwin dinosaur, uh, or or, or whether you are the only one of your friends who has steadfastly refused based on moral conviction to not watch Game of Thrones. Whatever it is, Paul says, you want to know what the authentic mark of a work of the Spirit of God? It's our relationships. It's our relationships. Ask yourself this question. What am I doing to maintain the unity of the Spirit to build up his church, the body of Christ? What am I doing to maintain the unity of the Spirit to build up my church, my church, this church, the local body of Christ right here, right here in our community? Paul writes, Paul writes, in chapter four, verses one to three, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But what does that mean? What does that actually mean? To, to, to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Sounds awesome. It almost sounds like a like a, a greeting card that you might find at a Lifeway Christian store, you know, maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It just sounds fantastic, but what the heck does this actually mean? Well, when you look at this phrase, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, you can observe that, that right off the bat, it is something spiritual. In other words, it's, it's a work of God's Holy Spirit. Remember, this is the unity of the spirit, the unity of the spirit. In verse three, Paul uses the word maintain, maintain. In other words, he's suggesting that the unity we're invited to experience here is not something that we're supposed to produce, right? It, it doesn't come by us, uh, forming new committees or issuing statements or, or, or setting up a Facebook group. It doesn't happen by you know holding hands and, and singing kumbaya. We're not called to create the unity of the spirit. Paul calls us to maintain, maintain the unity of the spirit. The unity of the spirit already is. It's a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul goes all out to make this point very, very clear. If you read verses four to six, he wants us to understand the spirit's unity is already a reality. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The unity of the spirit is a gift of God. It is a work of God. I have a buddy, uh, his name is Lucas Ramirez, and he has uh, written a book that's gonna probably be released in the next year, so it's called The Murmuration Effect. The Murmuration Effect. Now, some of you probably know uh, about murmuration. If you don't, it's when a flock of birds, typically starlings, uh, possibly as few as 100, maybe as many as four or 5,000, uh, begin to move as one in these majestic, uh, beautiful patterns, uh, changing directions and swooping in mid-flight without... Uh, any bird actually apparently in the lead. And physicists and ornithologists have have tried to determine how does this happen? How does this work? And more recently, as we've gotten more sophisticated video equipment and better capabilities for slow motion, high definition slow motion, they're beginning to sort of gain some ideas about how this actually happens. But it's still still a mystery. But what Lucas and his co-author suggest in their book is that the murmuration of these birds gives us a beautiful picture of what the church is called to be, of what we're called to be in the church, that we in the church are called to be this amazing body of individual bodies. In other words, all seemingly led and moved by this invisible conductor, and yet all of us moving together as one, which if we do this as God intends us to do it, just like when Starlings murmurate what's going to happen if you're going to look up and say, holy cow, how does that happen? What is it about these people? What is it about their their oneness? So many different individuals together becoming one. Paul actually uses this word one to, to emphasize the wonder of this seven times in these three verses. He uses the word one. He talks about one, 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 one spirit verse 4, one lord one 5, uh, one father verse 6. He's pointing us to a perfect oneness that is born of the spirit of God. So so clearly when, when we talk about the unity of the spirit we're talking about something that we cannot. We cannot manufacture We're not called to manufacture it. We're called to maintain it, to maintain it. But when we maintain it, this spiritual uh, murmuration, people will take notice. Believers, non-believers alike are provoked to kind of look up and wonder and, and bring glory to God. That's what Jesus was talking about. Remember when he said, people will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. In fact, in John chapter 17, remember when he prayed that we might all be one just as he and his father are one so that, so that the world could believe that Jesus came from the father, which is why Paul says it it is up to those who are believers to eagerly maintain this unity of the spirit. But when you read those words, eagerly maintain the unity of the spirit, you begin to realize this is not just something spiritual. It is also something intentional. It is intentional. Now those first two words in verse three are be eager, be eager to maintain. Now you might be thinking, but wait a minute, you just finished telling us that that this murmuration uh, uh, in the church is something that is born of the spirit, that it's God's doing. Now you're sort of suggesting that this is a, a matter of intention, that it's, that it's our responsibility. Which is it? is it? Is it a work of God? Is it God's baby? If it's God's baby, let him feed it. Let him nurture it. But, but what's the deal here? Why would call, uh, Paul call us to maintain a unity of the spirit that supposedly already is created by God? Well, maybe the best way to understand this is if you're, if you're, a, if you're a sports fan. If you're a sports fan, surely you have known the disappointment and the embarrassment of having a team that was the preseason pick, the preseason pick to win it all. They are the champion team. They have all the talent, all the resources in place, but when game time comes, they perform like a team that has no potential at all. Now, frankly, I've got to be honest with you, living in Philadelphia and being a Philadelphia sports fan, I've not had this experience. No no one has ever said of a Philadelphia team, oh my gosh, they're destined to go all the way. I do know, however, what it's like in very vivid terms, trust me, to watch a team that underperforms. I've seen this. I know what this is like. The tragedy, the tragedy of a team that has potential, that has talent, not living out that full potential not actually living out the calling to which they have been called. And, and see what Paul is saying, man, that's the scandal of the church. That's the scale. And, and we all know this. We see it every day. We sense it. Uh, people who, who mock the, the phony uh, oneness of a church that, that is ripped apart by feuding and, and pettiness and competition and, and, and personality battles. I think, you know, today, most outsiders, when they look at the church, are, are frankly more likely to mock the murmuring than marvel at the murmuration. And Paul says, that's tragic. That's a lost opportunity. We have all the gifts. We have the potential. We have the spirit of God. We need to win the world for Christ. But we fall short of our calling. And that's why Paul, that's why Paul invites us to reflect in our congregations and in our communities, in our, in our fellowship, as, as global believers, this, this reality that we are one body that we are one spirit, just as we are called to one hope that belongs to our call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. Paul says we are to maintain, maintain that oneness, eagerly maintain the unity of the spirit. And by the way, that, that Greek word eager is an interesting term. It's the word spousantes. Spousantes sounds awesome. Sounds like a a yogurt, or or maybe a gelato. I'll have the Sposantes. Uh, it, it just sounds delightful. But what it means is is a strong intentionality. It, it means uh, emphasis on on spare no effort. Uh, the the Larry the Cable Guy version of the Bible is get her done. It, it's the idea that you're going to do this with all all intention. You don't you don't just know this. You show this. I'm a lover of chowder. I love seafood chowder and clam chowder. Uh, There's a chowder joint in Kittery, Maine called Bob's Clam Shack. Bob's Clam Shack. Has anybody here ever been to Bob's Clam Shack? I know know their food is is not uh, talked about a lot here in this part of Texas, but but, uh, it, it is my absolute favorite place. It's part diner, part dive, part institution. And it has become for me, frankly, part shrine. Uh, no matter where I am in New England, whether I'm flying into Boston or Manchester, New Hampshire, or Portland, Maine, or, or even Providence, Rhode Island down the south, I will make every effort to get to Bob's Clam Shack for a bowl of chowder. I will literally drive a few hours out of my way to get to Bob's Clam Shack. I've literally taken speaking engagements in New Hampshire in the winter so I can get a bowl of chowder at Bob's. I'll do whatever I have to do right because I am I am spuzantes to get to Bob's clam shack. And the word that Paul uses here for eager, spusantes. And the tense that he shapes this verb suggests an ongoing intentionality, continuous. Uh, not, not just once, not just a flash in a pan, not just something that happen one time, but an ongoing, like, like don't just go to Bob's once, go the next day too. You know, be eager. Don't just desire the chowder, consume the chowder. That's spusantes. That's what Paul call, is calling us to do. That's the sense in which Paul is Encouraging us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Paul is saying in verse 3 that as Christians, we should have an unquenchable hunger for the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. So the question this morning becomes, what would that look like in your life? In, In my life, if we were to live out this calling to which we have been called. What would it look like for you, for me, uh, to, to personally maintain the unity of the Spirit right here in our family at Faithbridge or uh, among the family of Christians here in Harrison, Montgomery counties uh, or, or across the borders and around the world? What is my role to play in that? What can I do to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit? What sort of witness might we have? If we at Faith Bridge right here and in the churches of our area, if we were to show the murmurations of of, of God's spirit in our fellowship to begin to move together as one in this way that is inexplicable apart from the mystery and the wonder of God's Holy Spirit. Now, that's going to start. That's going to start. The answer to those questions starts right here at the micro level with you and with me. It starts with those of us right here at Faith Bridge, at the Woodlands Campus, at the Klein Campus, and perhaps even those of us who are, who are joining us online this morning. How many of us, how many of us are willing to go out of our way to, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, to make, make, for example, to make visitors feel welcome on a Sunday morning, to let them know that we're glad they're part of our church family? Do we have an appetite to consistently uh, gather with the church family on Sunday morning? Are we here? Are we making a consistent effort to be a part of the family? And I get it, I'm a pastor, but I still understand that, that showing up on a Sunday morning is an acquired taste. But Paul calls us to eagerly, eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit. What if we were to emphatically, intentionally make that effort every week. How many of us, for example, might were we to take seriously this oneness of the Spirit? Maybe we would get involved in a a, a grow group. Maybe for some of us, uh, the, we would be involved in these uh, kind of murmurations of mission teams, and, and, and or maybe even just uh, serving in in the the, the the children's program or the kids ministry or maybe uh, some other ministry team here in the church. Certainly, but it doesn't mean anything else, it means. Connecting, it means, it means filling out that connection card and say, I'm in. I'm not just gonna watch this from the outside. I wanna be a part of this. Eager maintenance of the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. A lot of us this summer have been intrigued by a movie based on a, a desperate military mission called Operation Dynamo. It took place uh, over nine days from May 26th to June 4th, 1940 when the British Army sought to evacuate from the beaches and the shores of Dunkirk, France. Uh, Over 300,000 British, uh, French, and Belgian soldiers who were stranded in retreat uh, by the German army. It was a remarkable, risky, audacious mission. Made all the more so because it involved some 800 ships, uh, almost 700 of which were owned by private citizens who were willing to do whatever it takes, to, 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 to whatever was necessary to save the lives of those men trapped on those beaches. It was, a, it was a real life, real life mission of murmuration and rescue. It's a great film, Dunkirk. But what I want us to understand this morning, men and women, is it also happens to be a picture of what God is calling us to do in the church. You, you may feel like, well, your boat is too small or your boat's not seaworthy or I'm not sure I can really do this or I, I'm not sure if I'm prepared to launch. But brothers and sisters, our calling as a church is to mount a massive rescue mission to a world trapped in sin and oppression. And we're only going to be able to do that if we face the enemy with a united front. One body. One spirit one hope that belongs to our call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is over all and through all and in all. Our challenge this morning, your challenge, my challenge, is to lead a life worthy, to lead a life worthy of that high calling. But if we do, When we do, people will look up. People will wonder what is going on here. People will marvel at surely what is a distinguishing mark of the work of the spirit of the living God. We're going to spend a few minutes in worship before we leave here this morning. But before we stand together to sing, I'm going to invite you seated just to bow your head for a moment. Just to bow your head. I want you to take a deep breath. Just just breathe in a deep, deep breath. And as you do so, with your head bowed, I want you to begin to think about what you've heard this morning in the Word or perhaps in the music. What God's Spirit has said to you maybe in these verses from Ephesians chapter 4 about what it means to be unified, to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And as you breathe in those truths, breathe in the wonder of the potential that we might have on this team, I'm gonna ask you then to breathe out. And as you exhale, I want you in breathing out to think about, God, what can I give to you? Maybe, maybe my boat is not the prettiest boat in the fleet. Maybe my craft is a little tiny and maybe my skills are not that great for navigating the storm. But Lord, I want to be a part of the rescue. I want to do what I can to maintain the unity of the spirit and the beauty of the murmuration of what God does among his people. Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Help us to recognize that this is not just something that's supposed to happen a year from now or maybe six months from now or when we launch some new initiative. This is your call to us today. That today you call us to lead a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Would you, Lord, bring this work to a deep, deep place, a place of reality, vivid reality in this church. We ask this in Jesus' name.
0: Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at Faith Bridge by talking with the teacher of the day. and welcome to Postscript. I'm Lou Anne Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Bible teacher Duffy Robbins, who just brought an important message about yeah. unity from unity. Ephesians. Yes. Well, welcome back, Duffy. Thanks, Louie. Always great glad, to, be glad here. to have you back. It. And you got your summer look, looking nice. Yeah, and, it. Nice, yeah. My summer look. Nice and tan. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been in the booth
1: for hours. <laughs> That's
0: good. Yeah. I'm glad that you uh, yeah. brought your summer look here yeah. for us. Uh, it was great to have you back. Thank you. Um, and uh, you've continued. Uh, this theme of revival and seeing the Holy Spirit move um, and kind of drilling down into that even maybe a little bit more by bringing this message from Ephesians. Um, And when we talk about the unity of the body, uh, the question that that came in today I think is one, that is often asked. Um, So uh, it says to be in unity is one. How do we do that when there is a different perspective or interpretation of scripture that has impact on a large group of people? Is disagreement uh, between two when the truth is sought to be held on both sides? And I'm not talking about gospel or salvation, but other doctrines. How do we maintain unity in the body with these different interpretations or perspectives?
1: Right. Well, um, there is a, there's an expression, often attributed to Augustine, but but not actually his, uh, but cited by a number of people that goes way way back. Um, in the uh, in the statement, I pulled it up on my phone is in essentials unity, in non essentials liberty, in all things charity, and, and this is basically a statement that's trying to answer precisely that question. Um, This question seems to be saying I'm not talking about essentials. I'm not talking about, it says, gospel and salvation. I mean, so in other words, there are certain issues where our unity is rooted. Uh, one Lord, one you know, one faith, one baptism, and that's not necessarily saying one mode of baptism. You know, some dunk, some sprinkle, some mm-hmm. dry clean, whatever. That, it, it, but the fact that we are baptized in the Spirit of God, baptized by the Holy Spirit, uh, one God. Those are essentials. And so we would not be able to maintain unity with people who believed there was more than one God or that there was more than one Lord. I heard a preacher say one time that there are seven ones in that passage. I mention this today. But what I didn't say, the observation the preacher made is at the heart of those seven ones, in other words, there's seven, the middle of the seven, the core of the seven is one Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think that the absolute essential about which we must agree is it, is Christology who is Jesus who is the Christ and that he came in the flesh and that he's the son of God that's that's where our unity is rooted that's where it starts so um, so if there's not agreement on that then I think it would be really really hard for us to talk about uh, unity of the spirit um, having said that there are other issues of course I mentioned baptism is one of them uh, you know how does baptism actually happen, or another one that Christians have uh, you know talked about over the years is is the Lord's return? Is it going to be mm-hmm. before Sometimes yeah you know things, that yeah. kind of stuff? Another uh, issue about which uh, there's disagreement is uh, wh- what happens when you die? do you immediately, as Paul seemed to imply in Philippians, are you immediately absent from the body and present with the Lord, which sounds like if I were to die during this podcast. By you know after lunch I'd be in heaven, or uh, in Thessalonians, where Paul says the dead in Christ will rise first when the Lord comes back. So you go, well, wait a minute! I thought the dead are already there. So there's disagreement. You know, there's disagreement on issues like that.
0: And those kind of things, we won't know until we uh,
1: won't know. Well, well that's what I was going to say. I think a big part of this is is sort of captured in that sort of non-essentials. In other words, mm-hmm. those are not, as the questioner observed, those are not. Questions on which our salvation is based. I could be wrong on those issues, but my salvation is not at stake. If I'm wrong about Jesus and his his death on the cross on my behalf, that's wrong enough to have eternal consequence. But being wrong about baptism uh, is not is not a big deal. So, so um, I think those are the kind of issues on which, as this statement. Suggest we should give people liberty. And a part of that liberty, I think, is anchored in the fact a very simple idea is that I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Having said that, the other side of the coin is that that, um, that doesn't mean we all walk around uh, saturated in, in doubt. That we don't have to say, well, who knows? You might be right, you might be wrong. And in fact, I, I, I always kind of wince a little bit when when in a Bible study, we're reading the Bible, and someone will will just go around the circle, what does that mean to you, what does that mean to you, what does that mean to you? As if whatever it means, whatever you think it means, that's what it means. Um, Because because, uh, scripture is intended to teach us certain things, and certain things it is not intended to teach us. If someone means by that, how does that apply to your life? How does that apply to your life? granted there there's lots of different ways but I think what um, we need to do is to is to, to to sort of maintain our unity and how do we how do we figure out disputes like this on these matters and which ones are essential as we go back and we look at the creeds of the church um, and we also heed the tradition of the church and when I say tradition you know a lot of people go oh you mean like we have to wear a tie on Sunday or we have to you know go to lunch at uh, a, a nice place. But when we talk about tradition in this sense, we're talking about what have our brothers and sisters in Christ for 2,000 years around the world, mm-hmm. what have been their consensus of opinion? And 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 actually, the Holy Spirit has a DNA. He has a history. So, So throughout history, the Holy Spirit has guided the church into our unity and into these truths. So so I would, when I say I'm wrong, I might be wrong. I don't want to say I might be wrong, but I think 2,000 years of my brothers and sisters in Christ are wrong. I would say I might be wrong, therefore, I'm going to defer to the tradition of the church. Mm-hmm. And this is a really important issue uh, right now in the church because, because. Uh, It's it's kind of a pseudo humility to say, well, I know I'm taking a position that the church has never taken before and I might be wrong. But that's really arrogance because you're really saying, I outvote all of them because I'm alive and they're dead. I'm more inclined to say, hey, let's in humility on these issues about which we don't know, let's yield to the tradition of the church. So, um, and, and and then regardless of the position, we need to show charity to those with whom we disagree, which is hard.
0: Yeah, it's it, hard. it is. But making space and room to be okay that we yeah. don't agree, yeah. but we could still right. live in harmony and, and yeah. unity.
1: Yeah, yeah. at least in, in kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, I, I think <clears throat> it would be possible for, for, I think it's not only possible, I think it's likely that one could say, I cannot, I cannot really say I'm in union with that group of people. But that doesn't give me the right to be mean to that or rude to that group of people. I need to show to them uh, charity. Honestly, one of the hardest, one of the things I'm, I'm really wrestling with myself right now is precisely this issue. Because I want to, because I, like I, if, let's say you and I really disagreed on an issue that was a pretty important issue. And I want to be kind to you, but at the same time, I want to be careful about being unified with you because I might think that that unity would mislead a younger or weaker Christian to believe that, that I think your position is right. And so I'm not necessarily worried even about your salvation or about, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that, but I'm worried about someone else hearing something that is, that is really wrong. And could be harmful to them, and so I, 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 think I call it thinking like a youth pastor. But I do sometimes feel this pastoral concern that gets in the way, and it makes me take, see the stakes higher on some issues than I probably should. But well, that, 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 I struggle with that well, a lot. Well,
0: I think your transparency in this struggle—that something that we all feel—and increasingly. Yeah. So, right. um, and so, I think it's super helpful that you're open about that, um, and that we dialogue about it, and huh. that we make space for that.
1: It's been helpful talking mm-hmm. to you about. Yeah. It.
0: yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> you came today. It was super helpful. So, tell us about next week. Give us a. Next can you give us a preview week. or a peek into next week? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. In Ephesians chapter four, the passage we looked at today, Paul says, "I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called." And then he has the word with with all loneliness or humility and meekness with patience or long suffering forbearing one another in love be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit so so i basically took f- verse 3 be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit because that's what he's really telling them to do mm-hmm. but in verse 2 he tells them how to do, do it. it okay and that's what i'm going to talk about next week
0: well we can't wait Glad you were here today.
1: Ah, that's awesome.
0: Glad you're going to be back. Thank you. And we'll see you back here next week for Postscript as well. Have a great Thank week. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org
1: postscript.